Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. He spent time in the Word. He made it a part of what he did. That's why you and I, we have to be people of the Word. Read it. Memorize it. Store it up in your heart because you have no idea what conversation you're going to come across where the Spirit will just may come upon you and begin to move and draw these things out of you. And you're speaking things that you have no idea that this person needed to hear that at that moment. Cup has to be full, though. One of the most incredible things about the way God works is that His ways aren't always expected. He moves in ways that our minds sometimes can't even understand. In today's message, Pastor James will teach on the power of the Holy Spirit and how, as a believer in Jesus, you should be a ready vessel for Him. How do you become a ready vessel? Well, by knowing the Word of God. For when you know the Word of God, you know the heart of God. And when you know the heart of God, your ways become His ways. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Acts chapter 2 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. chapter 2. We're going to finish out this chapter today. In case you don't know, contextually, uh, the Holy Spirit has just fell on this group of believers, around 120-so individuals who are gathered together. They're praying. They're waiting for this promise to be fulfilled. They hear a sound like a rushing wind, and then these tongues of fire settle on each of them. They begin to speak in tongues, uh, and they're not talking to each other, and they're not talking to the crowd. They're just praising God is what they're doing. Other people in the temple, just kind of right there close by, are like, what is going on? And so they walk out, they're observing this, and each one, and they're representing about 15 different areas on the globe, are hearing their own language being spoken. Now, again, the believers who are speaking in tongues, they're not preaching any message. They're proclaiming the goodness of God. And these individuals are like, whether you're from Rome or you're from wherever, we read through the list last week, you're identifying your native tongue, but they're just praising God. They're praising God. And so the questions start asking, like, what's going on? Why is this happening? What's the purpose of this? Uh, and then there's some individuals within that group who are like, these guys are just wasted. Okay, they're just drunk. So it's nine o'clock in the morning, and they're like, they're just drunk. Um, so the enemy for sure was willing to come alongside immediately and try to squash this thing. Be like, no, 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 it's not real. It's not real. It's real. What happened was real. Now, we don't see this happen again, in a sense. This corporate thing and everybody speaking in tongues and all this stuff. Tongues is a thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Read through 1 Corinthians. Tongues is a thing. But this moment is unique. Unique. So what should you want? Uh, Well, you just want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's your goal. Every single day, Lord, Holy Spirit, fill me and empower me today. Boom. There you go. Um, if you start talking in a tongue, hey, it's between you and the Lord, okay? Now, if it happens in a corporate setting, there's got to be an interpretation because everything in the church is done in decent and in order and all that good stuff, okay? That's the rule. I didn't make it. The Bible made it, okay? So, and the Holy Spirit doesn't compete with himself. Understand that too. That's key because what happens here is they're all speaking in tongues. People are asking like, well, what's going on? They're praising God in my own language. And then these guys start saying, no, no, they're just drunk. And then that's when Peter stands up to preach. 
When the preaching begins, the tongues stop. Why? Decent and in order. Decent and in order. And the Holy Spirit does not compete with himself. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, is going to preach a message. And it's literally, he is proclaiming, he is heralding this message. Not like the Jewish leaders of that day. You know, he is proclaiming a message. And when the word is being taught, the tongues stop. The tongues stop. Is there a place for tongues and all that stuff? Sure. Absolutely. As long as it's not drawing attention to myself, praise to myself, or distraction with what the Spirit is already doing. The Spirit's not going to compete with himself, okay? So the tongues stop. That's where we pick up for verse 14. All right. When Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. Some of you are saying that these people are drunk. He says it isn't even true. It's much too early for that. Uh, People don't get drunk by 9 o'clock in the morning. He says, no, what you're seeing this morning was predicted centuries ago by the prophet Joel. So just so we have an understanding, this is uneducated fisherman Peter from the Galilee region. He is country to the bone. Like, Galilee is country, right? He's redneck. That's who he is. And that's what they even said. They're like, how are these Galileans speaking in our language? Why? Why would they say that? Well, because the Galileans weren't the quote-unquote educated sort. They're blue-collar. So everybody's already confounded by this of like, how can they speak in this language? How can they speak in our language? They've never even been there. They're from Galilee. These are fishermen. These are traders that would be Matthew, you know, tax collector and all that good stuff. Like, Peter has no education. He's got no formal training. And he's the guy who's going to stand up and preach this message. He's the one who's qualified. He's the guy who's qualified. The Holy Spirit is moving in him, and he steps up. He is a natural leader, and he steps up, and he begins to proclaim this. And what we need to note is this. He's not going to go into debate with these guys. He's just going to share the word. He's going to share the word. He did not plan a sermon. Peter, in the morning, before 9 a.m., was not sitting there thinking like, okay, I need to write out this sermon. All right, I need my three points. I need a poem, because that always gets everybody. Clever story to begin it with, because that's what you're supposed to do, right? And so I'm going to do all this stuff, and... He didn't do that. He didn't do that. There was no sermon prep here. There was no planning. Technically, there was sermon prep. Peter has been just reading the word, and the spirit is moving now, and the spirit has something to draw from, so to speak, from what Peter had been taking in. Peter was familiar with the prophecy concerning Joel. Peter was familiar with the two prophecies that are referenced from King David from the Psalms. He already had that stored up inside of him. Spirit, now, Spirit can bring this to his mind regardless, but I believe that Spirit had direct access to what Peter had already stored up within his heart. Good application for you and I. Read the Bible. Read the Word. You have no idea how your day is going to go. Peter did not wake up this morning expecting to preach to thousands of people at one point in time, and 3,000 of those people are going to give their lives to the Lord and get baptized. He did not plan for that. But what he did, he spent time in the Word. He made it a part of what he did. That's why you and I, we have to be people of the Word. Read it. Memorize it. Store it up in your heart because you have no idea 
what conversation you're going to come across where the Spirit will just may come upon you and begin to move and draw these things out of you, and you're speaking things that you have no idea that this person needed to hear that at that moment. Cup has to be full, though. It's not duty, right? It's not that. It's delight, as John Piper would say. It's delight, man. I open up this thing, and I want to read this thing, and I want this thing to be inside of me doing a work that needs to be done on the inside of me, but also to be that source of a wellspring. So when I interact with somebody, it's like, man, the Spirit can bring to mind these verses, and it's like, boom, 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 here you go, here you go. And it's, it's just the Spirit doing what He does best. But I got to be in the Word. You and I, we got to be in the Word. We got to be reading this thing. We need to be just spending time in the Word. And you will be amazed. You store it up. The Spirit will, I believe, the Spirit will give you opportunities to share it. You just got to be available. Be that vessel that's like, all right, Lord, fill me up. Fill me up. So Peter, he knows this prophecy. What's surprising is nobody else knows this prophecy. Like, they're all like, whoa, really? Fascinating. Peter's like, oh, hold on, hold on. You're saying we're drunk. No, no, no. If you remember with me, centuries ago, the prophet Joel in chapter 2, they didn't have chapters back then. They didn't do that. It was just a letter that was written. But he's like, in Joel, we already knew this was going to happen. We knew this was going to happen. It just so happens to be today that this prophecy is coming to pass. So here's from Joel. Joel chapter 2 says this. In the last days, God said, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. All people. You read through the Old Testament and you see the Spirit being poured out onto some people here and there. Different little stories and some people the Spirit comes upon them in different instances and all that stuff. What Peter is saying is like, no, Joel, through inspired by the Holy Spirit, this was a prophetic thing saying, no, today is the day where the Lord has opened up the floodgates from heaven and he is pouring out his Spirit onto his, well, poured out onto all the believers. But all people, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Everything changes today. Everything changes today. And I love how just, I love this, and we'll continue reading through this, but you got sons and daughters prophesying. You got young men seeing visions. You got old men dreaming dreams. He goes on to say, in those days, I will pour out my spirit upon all my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. Look at this. Nobody excluded. You're a believer in Christ. You're not excluded. Man, woman, young man, young woman. Are you a believer and are you available? He can pour out a spirit on you and he can use you like prophecy, speaking the word of God. That's prophecy. That's what that means. It's like you're not predicting something new that's going to happen. We have enough prophecy. We got all we need right here, okay? So a lot of this prophecies and that type of things is really just pointing people back to what he has already said. Now, that could be things of like, you know, there's a lot that goes along with that. We'll do a study on that, I'm sure, one day. But Young men, young women that will prophesy, they will see, young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. I just read this from uh, Chuck Smith. Grandpa Chuck is what we love to call him, uh, the Bible college. But he was talking about his daughter was at a prayer meeting, and she said that. She's like, man, the Lord gave me like a word, like a prophet, the word of prophecy. And uh, he said she came back and was telling him and Kay this at their house, Kay's his wife, and uh, their son was there. I can't remember. They were having a rough time with him. And so Chuck's like, look at that. See? Sons and daughters prophesying. My daughter's prophesying. He's like, why aren't you prophesying? He's like, well, dad, why aren't you dreaming dreams? You know? Uh, so 
It's a nice little jab there from, from his son. But uh, old men will dream dreams. Uh, listen, this is what has to happen within the church, OK? Now, again, decent in order, but here would be what's essential for the body. Um, is spirit-empowered, and that regardless on where you're at on this trajectory of life, like maybe you've been walking with the Lord for a long time, and maybe the sun is setting, so to speak, on all that stuff. The Lord's still not done with you. You know, if you're well advanced in age, there's still dreams to be dreamed. Like submit that to the Lord and say, Lord, Lord, I still, I, when I would get to be an old man, I, my kids would think I'm an old man now, but when I'm going to get to the, this point, as I interpret it, I'm going to be like, I still want to be dreaming dreams. There's no retirement in the kingdom of God. There's no retirement in the kingdom of God. Lord, may I continue until the day you call me home or the day you blast that trumpet blast and we're raptured up out of here. I want to be dreaming dreams. May that never die in my life. So Peter's just like, we all know this. We all read this. We're familiar with this passage of scripture. He's going to pour out the spirit on all those servants, men and women alike. They will prophesy. Verse 19, I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs in the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness. The moon will turn to blood red uh, before that great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. And anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Boom, there's a prophecy right there. Now, there's some things that's happening as far as like sun being turned into darkness. Now, a lot of this would be kind of fresh on their minds as well, because when Jesus was on the cross, I mean, the sun was turned into darkness. There's total darkness, total darkness on all the land. So this, some of the things that he's saying is you're reminding the guys of this. They would be thinking back to that. Now, we know in times type stuff, we walk through the book of Revelation. Some of these things will be happening. You know, the point of the whole thing is not like, the, these natural things happening and uh, the blood moon, and I don't know, that happens a lot. And I don't even know, blood moon stuff, I see it all the time. But sun turning to darkness and all this, I'm not worried. Those could be indicators and signs and all that good stuff. What we do know is these are the last days. And that's what Peter's saying. This was 2,000 years ago. And you're like, the last days? That's 2,000 years ago. Yeah, no, the moment this happened is when the last this is like the end of it, the closing, the final act kind of a deal. Now, when does it all end? Nobody knows. But we're watching for the Lord, and we're still on a mission to do what it is he's called all of us to do until he, well, until he calls us home. But these are technically, now we live in the church age is what we believe, so there's still that that's going on. But technically, this is like the last, I'm not talking about this is not the last seven years and the tribulation, not that, but I'm talking about the last days. You're in them. You're in them. And as Billy said, there is nothing standing in the way of Jesus coming back. Nothing. Do your own research. Read through the prophecies and all that stuff. Everything has been fulfilled that needs to be fulfilled before he comes back. Nothing stands in the way. Nada. Nothing. That's exciting. That means he literally could return any moment. We're not waiting for a temple to be rebuilt in Jerusalem, although that probably will happen eventually, soon, I believe. You're not having to wait for that. You're not waiting for Gog and Magog, and I don't even understand all that from Ezekiel, when that, that's not, Jesus can come back at any point in time now, anytime. So we should be ready. We should be excited about that. The other thing of that, which I think is probably the most important thing is Peter's making this proclamation, is the last part of that. And anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He's like, listen, this is it. 
The Lord has started something new. This is a brand new thing. The church, he's established his church. And for his crowd, and understand that his audience is Jewish, okay? We'll get to Gentiles a few chapters from now, well, essentially chapter 10. This is a Jewish audience that he's speaking to because it's to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. But this truth applies to everyone. But anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And it's as simple as that. What a beautiful message. And he's just like, you guys know, Joel chapter 2, boom. And he throws it out there and he goes on. People of Israel, listen. He's got their attention. People of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus of Nazareth by doing wonderful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. And they all knew this. They are all without an excuse. And we know that because there was a man who's probably part of the 120. His name was Nicodemus. He, one of the religious leaders, he met with Jesus in the cool of the evening. We know it from John chapter 3, where he sat with Jesus and he talked with Jesus. And he said, Rabbi, teacher, we know you're from God. Because no one can do the things that you do unless God was with you, or unless God is working in and through you, or unless God has sent you. They knew it. They all knew it. Nobody can do the things that he's doing. It's just impossible. And everything, the Messiah checklist was checked off. Every single box by Jesus. Blind, receiving their sight? Check. Mute, speaking? Check. Deaf, can hear? Check. Lame, walk? Check. Dead, raised from the dead, check. He checked off all the boxes, and they knew it. They all were witnesses to this. And that's what Peter's saying. He's like, listen, you guys know. You know as well as I do. You don't believe in him. What did Jesus say? You don't believe me. Then at least believe my works. So everything, I mean, it was all there available for them to see and to understand. And that's what he says. He's like, listen, we know that Jesus is the Messiah, that God publicly endorsed him through all the miracles, the wonders, and the signs through him, as you well know, but 23. But you follow God's prearranged plan. With the help of the lawless Gentiles, that's the Romans, you nailed him to the cross and murdered him. I love this because this is where guys get sideways, okay? I love it that Peter's just like, he just talks about it. He just mentions it. He's like, it's part of God's plan, but you're guilty. And it's like, well, wait a minute. If it's part of God's plan, then how am I guilty? He's like, well, you were more than willing to accomplish this. Just so you know, God already knew about the cross before he even created the world. He's not surprised by anything. It wasn't like God made Adam and Eve and was like, well, I didn't expect it to go that way. Man, I didn't think they were going to bell on us that soon. No, no, they did. No, there was already a plan of redemption in place before everything, anything was even made. God the Father, God the Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit, perfect community, perfect union before anything ever was. They did not even need us that we're going to create this world we're going to create these people in our image, and they're going to rebel against us, but we will rescue them. And it's even prophesied, the cross, the crucifixion, a thousand or so years before crucifixion was even invented. In the Psalms, it already talks about that. And so what Peter's saying is like, listen, God already knew this was going to happen. This was already part of his plan. The problem is, is that you were more than willing to accomplish this plan. You guys wanted Jesus dead. And you partnered with the Romans who are occupying your land, who are your enemies. You hate these guys. You work together in mutual submission to kill Jesus. Yes, it was part of God's plan. Absolutely. But you got to have individuals who are willing to stick them on that cross, and you are more than willing to do it. And that's what he's doing. And he's throwing down the hammer on these guys right now. 
absolutely throwing down the hammer. Like, all right. He's like, prophecy's been fulfilled. Now let's talk about Jesus. You killed him. You're guilty. And they're all like, oh, because a lot of these guys were probably there 50 days prior when he was, or 50 some odd days prior when he was crucified and buried in that tomb. You're probably dealing with a lot of the same crowd. Maybe some of the in his attendants were ones who were shouting, crucify him. We don't know. That's speculation. We don't know. But we do know that these you know, holidays, these feasts with uh, Passover and then Pentecost, I mean, they're you know, 50 days apart from each other. A lot of guys, you're going to make that journey, you're going to stay, right? You're going to stay, OK? So they're hangover, so to speak, from the Passover. But he says, he's like, with the help of the lawless Gentiles, with the help of the Romans, you nailed him to the cross, and you murdered him. You murdered him. You killed the Messiah. For the Jews, this is a big deal, OK? For Americans, it's like, yeah, Jesus was supposed to die on the cross. For the Jews who are waiting for the Messiah to have that strike you, can you understand? Can you put yourself in their position and receive that for yourself? Put yourself as a Jewish individual who is like, you have holidays, you have feasts that are centered around the Messiah coming. And this guy, Jesus, shows up and performs all the things that the Messiah was supposed to perform. And then this guy, Peter, stands up. This fisherman from Galilee stands up, and he's quoting scripture like nobody's business. And he says, you killed the Messiah. Can you imagine what that would feel like? You're like, and as maybe the blinders being taken off, and they are being hit with this truth of like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, man. This is one we've been celebrating for so long. Thousands of years we've been waiting for him. And he showed up, and we missed it? We missed Jesus? We missed the Messiah. And Peter's like, yeah, you did. You missed him. You didn't just miss him. You killed him. However, verse 24, praise God for the howevers in the Bible and the buts in the Bible and all that. Praise God for these things, OK? However, God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life again. Now, there's a connection to this of Jesus descending down into hell and preaching to the captives and setting captivity free. We can go into that some other day, because that's a whole other thing that we can talk about. But that was all part of it. And just like he said, with the sign of Jonah, just like Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days, and then three days later was resurrected, so to speak, that's what Jesus said. That's the sign I'll give you. So he's doing business. It's not like he was just dead and like nothing was happening for three days. He was doing business, OK? He was talking to all the Old Testament saints, all right? But again, I can't, I want to go into that, but we can't do that. Okay, so, uh, but Peter's just like nonchalantly, like, yeah, it was part of God's plan. You murdered him. Uh, but here, here's the good news. You're guilty, but there's good news. God raised him from the dead. He brought him back to life. For death could not keep him in its grip. King David said this about him. I know the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is filled with joy, and my mouth shouts his praises. My body rests in hope, for you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You have shown me the way of life, and you will give me wonderful joy in your presence. And what he's saying, and he's going to explain it there too, but it's just like, I mean, you can tell. I mean, Peter stands up, and he's just preaching. And it's like Joel chapter 2, and then Psalm, and then he's got another Psalm to come. And it's just like the Spirit is just moving through this guy. And he's like, boom, boom, boom. And it's the Word. And that's what it is. It's just, that's the best thing to do. It's the Word. Here you go. Prophecy's been fulfilled. David wasn't talking about himself. He was talking about somebody else. 
And that's what he says in verse 29. Dear brothers, think about this. David wasn't referring to himself when he spoke these words. I've quoted, for he died and was buried, and his tomb is still here among us. That's all we have time for today on Bread for the Broken. We're so glad that you joined us as Pastor James Grizzle teaches through the book of Acts. If you'd like to hear today's teaching again or listen to more verse-by-verse teachings from Pastor James, visit breadforthebroken.com and click on the Teachings tab. While you're visiting breadforthebroken.com, you'll also be able to learn more about the church behind the ministry of Bread for the Broken. At Calvary Galveston, we strive to love and live as Jesus did. We're just ordinary people discovering extraordinary truths from the Bible together. As we continue to journey through the book of Acts, our prayer is that your faith is inspired to move, that when you read about the early church, you rediscover the purpose that God has for your life. You might think you're just ordinary, but God sees you deeper and He knows that you're more than that. Being obedient to the calling that God has on your life might not always make sense, but God blesses those who are faithful to answer His call. And you never know what incredible things God has in store when you freely say, Yes, Lord. If you're ever in the Galveston area, we would love to have you come visit. Or if you're looking for a new church home, you're always welcome. We meet every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. to start the week out right with worship. Our atmosphere is pretty relaxed, so feel free to come just as you are. Find out more and plan your visit by going to our website, breadforthebroken.com. As you go throughout the rest of your day, may you find hope and new life in Jesus.